This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Um, we sang about a holy God, about a God who is holy, 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 didn't we? Do we really know what it means that God is a holy God? Do we have a big vision of who God is? I know um, <clears throat> one of the Puritans, um, Thomas Chalmers is uh, his name, he, he has a book, and I haven't read the book, but the title just says it all. It's The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Basically, the idea is if you are struggling with some sin, if you are struggling with something in your life that you need to get over, the way to get over that is not through um, just more effort and trying harder. The way to get over that is through the expulsive power of a new affection. It's a greater and deeper love for God. A greater and deeper understanding of who He is that then expels all of our other desires for anything other than Him. I hope that this morning we see a vision of a big God, of a holy God, of a God who is faithful to His promises, of a God who is unapproachable apart from the mediation of Jesus Christ. Let's, uh, let's read our text. Isaiah chapter 6 begins. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, 
And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us, that you have revealed yourself, that you have spoken, that we can understand you, what you want us to know, what you want to to say to us about your world and about your plan for us, about your plan for redemption. Father, we pray that you would this morning give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we would not be like the people that Isaiah preached to. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, our ears and our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would be with me. It makes someone tremble to think of preaching your word. A holy, holy God. I cannot stand in your presence apart from what you've done in Jesus. Father, give me grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. It begins in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was the king. Uzziah was the king of Judah. We know a little bit about the history of Israel and Judah. Remember, King David was king over the unified kingdom, and David was promised that he would have a son that would sit on his throne forever. And then a generation passed. We had Solomon and his son, Rehoboam, And the line split. No longer was there one unified kingdom, but there was Israel in the north who did not have a Davidic king. And then there was Judah in the south who had a Davidic king. The son of David. This one that was following out the promise that God had to David. Uzziah was king for a long, long time. I believe it was 52 years he was king over Israel. They had a long period of prosperity and peace. And yet, King Uzziah died. You can imagine what it must be like experiencing a time of prosperity and peace. Experience a time when everything seems to be going well and then... Someone dies. You're comfortable. Maybe someone in your own life, someone in your own family dies and your world is just shaken. Maybe it's a a leader. Maybe some of you remember when uh, President John F. Kennedy was shot. I don't care about what your politics were or anything like that, but the, the leader of a nation died. You'd imagine the people then were asking, what now? 
We've had this experience of peace and prosperity. He's been, uh, we've, we've only known this king. You know, for 52 years, there are many that were there that probably had known no other king other than Uzziah. And now he was gone. Well, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is what Isaiah saw. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Uzziah died, but the Lord was still on the throne. When Uzziah's world was shaken and he looked at how everything seemed to be falling apart. He could see that the Lord was on the throne. And when we in our lives feel like we are shaken, we need to have a vision of that God. We need to have a vision that we can see God is still on the throne. He is still ruling and reigning and He still has purposes that He is working out in our lives even if we don't understand what they are. says he was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple the lord was so big so massive in this vision that isaiah was having that just the corner piece of his robe filled the whole temple that was how big imagine what isaiah must have felt like standing before this god It was so big that just the little corner of his robe filled the whole temple. And then above him stood the seraphim. What are these seraphim? These are angelic beings. And from the word seraph, uh, the word seraph means to burn. These seraphim were these burning, shining angelic beings that stood above the Lord. It might be similar to what we... In fact, I think it is the same thing that what we see in the, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant. You had these seraph who were over the Ark of the Covenant representing very similar to what we see here in Isaiah. Above the Lord stood these burning, shining, angelic beings... Imagine how scared and terrified that Isaiah must have been. Each one of these angelic beings had six wings. With two, he covered his face. God was so holy, so terrified that even the angels, even these seraphim that stood in his presence, had to cover their face because they couldn't even bear to look at this holy God. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. We can think of when Moses stood there on the mountain to meet with God at the burning bush and Moses was told, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. These angels, not only did they cover their feet to stay away from the ground, but they also flew above the Lord because they could not be in His holy presence. And one called to another and said, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What does this mean that he's saying holy, holy, holy? The idea of repeating three times is, is uh, the, the maximum that you can possibly intensify something in the Hebrew language. So to say, holy, 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 Isaiah is saying, these angels were saying, God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. That's how holy God is. He is the maximum that you can imagine. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Again, what is holiness? We think of it in terms of moral purity. We think of it in in terms of of not being unholy, unclean, filthy, but morally pure. We also think of it in terms of separateness. These things, like the, the, the instruments in the temple, they were devoted to the service of God. They were separated from any other use. They were wholly devoted. They were separate. They were sanctified. They were set apart. God is so different from us. He is the Creator. And we are the creatures. And yet God condescended to step out of heaven and become a human being. This is unfathomable that God, who is holy, 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 would do such a thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. He was the Lord of armies. That, that word uh, hosts, it's what we sing maybe when we sing uh, a mighty fortress is our God, Lord Sabaoth His name. It's the, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. He is in charge of all the armies of heaven. Not just these two angel, angelic beings that were above Him, but armies and armies and myriads and myriads of angelic beings that he could call to do his will at any moment. Holy, holy, holy. Then it says the whole earth is full of his glory. The train of his robe. Just the the small corner of his robe would fill the temple, but it says the whole earth is filled with his glory. And we can see other places in Scripture that tell us the heavens declare the glory of God. We can see in creation how His glory is declared. We can see in the intricacies of things like the way our bodies are designed, the way the eyeball is designed, the way that a spider creates its web. All of these things point to the glory and the majesty of this holy God. And then the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. Now, who was it that was calling? It was the angel. It was the angelic being that was crying, holy, holy, holy. The foundations of the threshold shook at his voice. Just imagine what would be if God was the one speaking. 
It was just the angelic being that was crying out and the, the temple just shook. Imagine standing in the presence of this God. And the house was filled with smoke. That would be the temple. And I said, I've been saying, imagine how you would feel standing before this God. Maybe you would say just what Isaiah said. Woe is me. Woe is me. I am lost. In other translations it might say, I am undone. I am devastated. I am bowled over by being in the presence of God. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah was presented with a vision of a holy, big God. And what was his response? He saw his own sin. He was self-conscious of his own sin. You want to know what does it feel like to be close to God? You're going to be aware of your own sin. If you're not aware of your own sin, maybe you're just deluded when you feel like you're close to God. A lot of people can just worship like the pagans did and bring up a lot of emotion, but not have any truth behind it. If you really are close to God, you're going to be aware of how sinful that you are. Then, Jesus, then Isaiah says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He sees this holy God. He sees Him in all of His majesty. And He recognizes and He confesses His sin. And He says, My eyes have seen the King. Remember, it was King Uzziah that died. And Isaiah saw that God was still on the throne. And when he saw the king and his majesty and his beauty, he was shaken to his core because he had seen the true king. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. When Isaiah confessed his sin, the seraphim, the one that the Lord commanded, just like he commands all the hosts of heaven, the Lord sent this seraphim down and he took a coal from the altar And he touched Isaiah's mouth. What was Isaiah's sin that he was confessing? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I've got a filthy mouth, God. And everybody around me is the same way. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So the Lord sends the angel, takes a coal from the tongs of the altar, And purifies it like fire would purify iron. 
He tells Isaiah, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Notice this. God didn't just snap his fingers and tell Isaiah everything's okay. He didn't just tell the angelic being to go down to to Isaiah and put his arm around him and say everything was okay. He sent the angelic being to take a coal from the altar. The coal from the altar represents the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. The sacrificial system in which they would bring a goat or a, or a, a lamb or, or a calf and sacrifice those things so that the sins of the people were represented as going upon that animal and the animal would die in the place of the people. And the meat, the body of the creature would be consumed by the fire. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was all there to point forward to the ultimate sacrifice who would come. When Jesus came, He lived among us. He died upon the cross as our substitute. No longer did we need bulls and goats. But we trust in Jesus and His perfect sacrifice that didn't have to be repeated over and over again. So when God sent the angel, he picked the coal from the altar representing our need for atonement for our sin and touched the very place where Isaiah confessed his sin. He had a filthy mouth. And the angel touched his mouth with it and purified it. And then the Lord says, Behold, or maybe it's the seraphim. I'm not sure who's speaking here. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You know what? We need to be reminded of the gospel. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted that He has died in your place, if you have been born again, we need to remember our guilt is taken away. Our sin is atoned for in the blood of Jesus. Something that was much, much greater than any offering that was offered as a sacrifice on an altar. Our guilt is taken away and our sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. What happens after cleansing? What happens after God cleanses our hearts? After we've been washed in the blood of Jesus? He calls us on a mission. Jesus, or the Lord here calls out, who shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah answered that call And Jesus, after cleansing us, calls us into the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of every every nation, baptizing and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. After cleansing comes a calling. And it has to be in that order. There could be many who go into some kind of ministry because they think it's a good thing to do. They want to help people. 
They want to feed people, feed the homeless, and, and do all kinds of social types of ministries. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are good, but we've got to get the order right. First cleansing, then calling. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What a strange thing. What's our command? We are commanded to go and make disciples. Aren't you glad we don't have Isaiah's command? Go and preach and nobody's going to listen to you. (laughs) Go share this message and everybody's going to ignore you and call you crazy. But yet, that's what Isaiah is told to do. What we need to see here, we are responsible to tell the message as God has given it. We don't get to pick our message. We don't get to to just latch on to whatever's popular in culture. We go and we open up this book. This is God's Word. This is what we are to proclaim to the world around us. He has spoken. We don't look to ancient philosophers. We don't look to whatever's trendy in philosophical circles. We look to the Word of God and trust Him for the results. He may call some of us to go and share the gospel with people who never hear. They hear, but they don't hear. And Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? Isaiah gets this commission and he responds just like I would think I would. God tells me, you're going to go and preach to these people and they're not going to listen to you. I'm asking, okay, how long is this going to be? (laughs) How, How long do you want me there? I mean, are you saying that I need to go there and just die doing this? Or how long? I want to know. I mean, before I go, I need to count the cost. How long do you want me there? And the Lord gives him an answer. I don't think it made him happy. Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land is desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. God's telling Isaiah, judgment is coming. The Assyrians are coming. They're going to wipe out Israel. The Babylonians are coming. They're going to wipe out Judah. You're going to keep preaching and preaching until all of this is done and there's hardly anybody left. And then he says, and though a tenth remain in it, it'll be burned again. If it's not enough that he's just going to preach and preach and preach until the cities are just almost empty, 
Then it's going to be burned over again. Like a terebinth tree or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. You ever cut down a tree and you didn't have one of those stump grinders? Had to figure out another way to get rid of the stump. Pour oil on it, burn it, whatever, and it just keeps there. Get rid of the tree and you still got that stump. You don't want to spend the money to get somebody professional to come and grind it out. It's going to get really bad. Isaiah is to preach to these people. And once it's that bad, it's going to get worse. Quite a nice, uplifting message, huh? But then Isaiah ends this chapter with these words. The holy seed is in the stump. The holy seed is its stump. What is this about? The holy seed. Remember back, King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was the the king of Judah. The one who was a son of David. And David was promised there would be a son who would sit on the throne of David forever and ever and ever. Yet King Uzziah died. Isaiah is being told here, the Lord is telling Isaiah, the holy seed is in the stump. While the nation is going to be destroyed, while cities are going to be leveled, where there's going to be no people left, the remnant, those who are left, will contain the promise to David that there will be a seed, there will be a son who would sit on his throne forever. And God kept that promise. Later on, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the people came back to the land. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the wall. And then we know the story of the seed of the woman that was born in Bethlehem, who lived a sinless life, who went to a cross to take away our sins. This is a holy God. He is a God who is on the throne. And when we don't see what, how to make sense of our lives, when we don't see how is God working in this situation or that, my life feels like it's falling apart, Lord. God is on the throne. He is working out His purposes. He will keep His Promises, even whenever it feels like there is no way in the world it could happen. And his purposes ultimately come down to the cross of Jesus Christ, where our sins are atoned for and our guilt is taken away. Do you have a sin that you're struggling with? that you can't seem to let go of? Do you have something that, that you just can't seem to deal with? Get a big vision of this big God. He is holy. He is enormous. He is in control. And He has made a way for you to be cleansed. Mm-hmm.